can't never stop working hard. Each day I feel I have to improve. Hard work, determination. I've got to keep pushing myself. Welcome to Hiya, the only podcast that thinks if you have a spider to kill, there is only one way to go. Sweep the legs, Johnny. Sweep his creepy little legs. Oh. <laughs> Episode 18 of Hiya, recorded October 1st, 2012, starts now. Right now, too, man. You doubled up on me on that one. You got me with them spiderly, dangly legs. You know I can't stand that. I know. Mixed in Johnny Sweet the Leg. Oh, my God. What is up, Sifu? You know, I'm just going to let you guys know, Craig has such a fear of spiders that this year it's going to happen. He knows I've got a closet out in front of my house, an outdoor closet, and that thing just fills up with spiders. They're oh, everywhere. Does, man. When Lockie's ass in, I've been reinforcing the door and uh, making some preparations. So next time you're over here, buddy. Dude. You're going in the closet, the spider closet. Side pistols and bleach canisters, motherfucker. I'm coming in shooting. <clears throat> no, you'd just be tripping over paint cans and lawn bags and falling down and get caught in a web. It'd be terrible. Just that, too. <laughs> so how you doing tonight, Craig? Doing all right. Doing all right. How about yourself, Dave? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Had a bit of a rough weekend, but uh, <clears throat> that, that was already discussed a little bit in the interview. Which we pre-recorded this week, uh, <laughs> due to Thanks our. Thanks for letting them know, because I feel awkward. <laughs> yeah, well, I think they know anyway, or at least they will after they listen to it. Uh, partially because uh, we've got Sambo Steve back on, Stephen Kepfer, yeah. and uh, once again setting us correct on the MMA wiles and ways, and uh, he had some good stuff to talk about. The main topics were uh, there was another mixed martial arts death this year. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, yep. They've got a big New York State uh, lawsuit going on addressing uh, amateur MMA and the fact that it's illegal there. Uh, yeah. Well, professional is, amateur is. It's kind of a fuzzy thing, and we go into depth on that uh, on the interview. So there's a lot of good information there. And uh, also there's a issue of a, of a fairly prominent trainer out there who was faking medicals. So, oh. <clears throat> yeah. So, yeah, that's... Well, you know, there's a lot of discussion on that, Craig. So once again, you're going to have to catch up on your own podcast. Shwamalama <laughs> <laughs> ding dong, baby. But I will tell you right up front that one thing he does mention in the interview is that he's not coming back on until you're back. So uh, we got to make sure that next time, you know, I did I did try to convince him that you were just a sock puppet that I had. And I, I <laughs> just changed voices when, when it was your turn to talk. That's but, usually the case. Yeah. Not yeah. not this time. Stinky sweat sock puppet. But not this time. So uh, can't get enough of it, Dave. Yeah. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> but folks, we hope you enjoy that interview. Uh, I certainly enjoyed doing it. And uh, again, you know, if you're like, oh, these dudes are putting the same guy on just like five or six shows after the last time they had him. Mm -mm. No, Mr. Kepfer has become our go-to guy on MMA because we really don't know what the F we're talking about here. <laughs> no, we could tell you some Kung Fu, but when it comes to the ring, right. I ain't got a wham lama ding man. And it's definitely something we want to learn more about, so he's our go-to guy. So uh, you're going to hear more from him in the future, I'm sure. There you have it. And you're going to be damn glad you did. Yes, indeed. All right, do we have anything else before we jump into this fantastic interview there, Craig? I think not. Let's bow in. All right, we'll do that, and afterwards we'll be back with the mailbag. Enjoy, folks.
with Sambo Steve Kepfer once again. Good to have you back, Steven. Hey, what's up, man? Glad to be back again. So let's jump right into this, Steve. Uh, you got two or three uh, specific topics we want to jump into here. Uh, I think maybe uh, the first one, because it ties right in with what we were discussing the last time you on that we might want to touch on, is that uh, second mixed martial arts death this year. Yeah, last time I was on the show, um, we were talking about the uh, Jensen death in the unregulated show um, earlier this year. Uh, he had died after a, a triangle choke. Um, and then I guess, I'm not sure if the autopsy report had come back when I was on your show, but I think subsequently it came back and uh, they, it, it was not, it was done by a coroner, not by a medical examiner, but his his opinion was that he couldn't, he could nail down the time of death, which was basically during the fight, you know, and he could say that it was due to trauma to the head, but he couldn't specifically say it was due to the choke. But regardless, it happened, um, you know, during that moment. Uh, since then, there was a second unfortunate incident, uh, this time in a, in a regulated show. It was an amateur show, unlike the one uh, in South Dakota with Dustin Jensen, which was on an unregulated show. Right. Uh, this one was a regulated show, and the, the gentleman's name was Tyrone Mims, and uh, he he died of a heart attack uh, subsequent to the fight, and this was in South Carolina. This is actually the second amateur MMA death in South Carolina since it was legalized there, and there's the, the, the coroner reports are not in on on that um, fatality yet, so uh, now, you know, so, uh, at this point it's speculation. Sorry, I wasn't aware. This is the second one in South Carolina out of only what six or so since nineteen ninety three, six or seven. Um, there's been four domestic uh, fatalities directly related to MMA in the United States, and one overseas. And the one overseas was um, on an unregulated, no holds barred card so you know right. you may may not want to count it but uh but the four in the united there have been four in the united states yeah and two of them have been in uh south carolina yeah are they yeah are, are they having a lot of matches there or is there something that might drive that statistically upward or or is it just chance because um, you know yeah you know it's a good question i'm not sure i haven't looked at the numbers my guess is that I mean, it was a regulated show. They do the standard, um, what's done for amateurs at least, the, you know, the standard uh, medical prerequisites, uh, uh, basic blood tests, a physical, uh, you know, check before the doctor, uh, check with the doctor before and after the fight and uh, eye exam before the fight. So it's not, um, if there was something, you know, probably what happens in, my understanding is what happens in, in these types of cases that, are not discovered is usually, you know, it's something, uh, congenital, you know, that may not have been even known. Even if you did do a physical, you may not have known that he had some kind of heart condition or they weren't looking for it or whatever. Right. And that's one of the differences because in, in professional mixed martial arts, you'll get, you know, a much more extensive array of medical, uh, procedures. And, and so people do discover unknown medical conditions that they have in the pro ranks, but uh, that doesn't really happen in the amateur ranks. Right. 
And, you know, with something like a, a congenital heart condition, that can be extremely difficult to detect even if you're looking for it. And this, sure. you know, this is one that just personally from what I've read of it so far, and, and please set me straight if I miss something crucial here, but this one sounds a lot less uh, potentially egregious than the previous death that occurred uh, that, that we spoke about. And it also seems like almost one of those things where uh, mixed martial arts may have just been the unlucky, you know, cause or, or coincident with this just like you'll mm -hmm. have you know if you're giving millions of children vaccines and one of them drops dead from something congenital then people will rush to blame the vaccines or the whatever that happened to be there but the, sure. the laws sure. of probability say at some point you know <laughs> things are going to yeah. line up he uh i mean i mean, won't know for sure but my guess is that this is were it something congenital that, you know, it could have happened at a pickup football game or basketball game or anything on a weekend that he might have done and uh, just happened to be in in this bout, you know. Um, so it, it's a really sad story, is it, you know. Yeah. Uh, he's He's got a family and kids and, and all this kind of stuff. And it was his very first fight, too. Oh, wow. So, uh, you wow. know, it was it, – it's really, really sad. And uh, I should mention for our uh – Regional high y'all listeners, we broadcast out of Atlanta, and uh, he he was a Georgia fighter, correct? Um, I have it right up here in front of me. The fight was in South Carolina, but uh, let me see if um, I don't have in front of me where he was from. He might have been from Georgia. I'm pretty sure I to, read if, that. Yeah, if you go to my blog, you know, people who want to look it up, if you go to my blog, which is uh, nymmanow.org. You'll find the article about it and, and all the links, you know, relating to that case. Yeah, in any event, it's very sad when something like that happens. But, again, I don't think in this case there's nearly the kind of evidence of, you know, not crossing T's and dotting I's and, and <clears throat> you know, following the regulations that there was in the previous – or the lack of regulation that there was in the previous yeah. situation. Yeah, I mean, well, you know, the two cases combined go to show – the the sort of state of amateur mixed martial arts in in this country, which is very which fluctuates from state to state, it's it's very much um, kind of whimsical, you know, yeah. uh, depending on where you go, what kind of regulation or lack of regulation you're going to get, um, and th and these two incidents do reflect sort of both ends of the spectrum, you know, one that one state, South Carolina, that was living up to all the uh, living up to everything the state was requiring them in terms of pre-fight medicals and uh, the other where nothing was happening, you know. So, and that's sort of, you know, to play devil's advocate, I mean, I personally am one for uh, supporting regulation of amateur mixed martial arts, but there is a sort of a, a segment of the, the fight world out there, uh, just like the political world, who sort of frown upon any kind of governmental regulation over activity. Right. Um, you know, hey, if I want to fight, I should just be able to go fight and, you know, shouldn't have to do all this stuff. And, you know, and I see I see that side of the point. You know, there's there's underground fight cards that you can go to if you want to do all that, you know, well, or some states where there are no regulations. But uh, yeah. if you're in a state where there's regulations, you got to do the stuff they ask for. And, I, you know, I, th I think when you're dealing with something like that, you know, yes, I, we're Americans and we're all very kind of have a certain libertarian streak at our core we don't like being told what to do but we also accept the fact that you know if it's only a risk to yourself then then you know you're going to be minimally regulated in most places in the u.s 
But you can't just walk into a movie theater and yell fire. You know, yeah, that's freedom of speech, but other people's safety is involved there too. And I think there's a strong argument that when you're talking about a mixed martial arts match or something of that nature, then, you know, it's not just you walking into the ring saying, I'm willing to do it. It's, you know, it's the guy on the other end of the ring too that's fighting with you that uh, deserves some sort of say in what the safety and, you know. Sure. And that sort of has to be taken on by the state at large. Sure. I mean, a, a good friend of mine keeps pointing out, well, hey, you know, the they're letting you do something that, like, if it wasn't in a in a ring or a cage would be illegal. Right. <laughs> so, You'd be arrested for you know, it. <laughs> you, yeah. It's like they're they're sanctioning assault. But, you know, you can go in and beat somebody up. We're going to let you do that. But if you're going to do that, we're just going to ask a couple of basic questions. You know, I mean, the, most amateur regulation, I think the most extensive is New Jersey, which uh, a lot of the Northeast states and, and South Carolina and many of the other states that do sort of uh, have – uh, oversight by a uh, athletic commission in the state sort of follow the same ballpark guidelines, you know, basic blood tests with uh, hepatitis B, C, and HIV, you know, a physical from your doctor saying that you're not going to keel over and die or something. And then, um, you know, eye test and pre and post fight exam by the doctor at the event. And, and that's really pretty basic. I mean, um, you know, they're not asking for the stuff that you get with the pros, like MRIs and, and, and all this other stuff. So, Right, although in this case, you know, we're just speculating, but it could have saved this guy's life if he had had a, a full cardiac and MRI and all that other workup before he ever got in the ring. This was his first fight. And, sure, uh, yeah. They could yeah, have I mean, found you know, the problem. Uh, they may have found something. They, you know, they may, like you said, it's speculation. Then, then there the issue comes up, how much regulation do you want to heap onto somebody who's not getting paid for, you know, like a, uh, in an amateur event where you're not getting paid and generally you don't have, uh, the kind of support that a pro does. I mean, pros, uh, don't always get a lot of help with covering all the medical stuff that they need to do. So yeah. in theory, it would be great if we could do the same workup for every amateur fighter that we do for pros, but uh, I think it's just not practical, unfortunately, you know? Right, or if it did happen, it would have to be something that was kind of done by the sport at large, you know, if the promoters and the people who are actually making the largest, uh, the lion's share of the profit off these, because, you know, people don't get into amateur MMA fights for free, right? Somebody's paying the freight, and they, they don't get put sure. on for free either, of course. You know, they have to make money to do these. If there was any way to, you know, establish some sort of medical fund for, you know, for the minimum level of testing to make sure anybody that wanted to find, I don't know. I'm, I'm spitballing here, Steve. So forgive me. Yeah. But. Yeah. You know, I, I mean, I, I, I talk about this a lot with a lot of people. It's, it's a big issue, especially, um, I sent you the, the recent, uh, complaint with the, the lawsuit going on here in New York to lift the ban, yes. uh, on professional mixed martial arts. And, and the lawsuit currently is covering the issue of amateur because over the, the last 15 years, since New, MMA has been banned in New York. There's been uh, flip-flopping of the state on where they stand on on the amateur issue, basically depending on, again, the whim of the current commission and whether they whether they uh, want fights to be going on in New York State. But, you know, the fact that we're still in this stage of development in the sport shows that we're still very much in our infancy. I mean, look at boxing. You know, boxing has been around for 100-plus years. It took... You know, only only several years ago did we have the Muhammad Ali Act, which protects boxers, you know, right. after 100 plus years. So, uh, 
I don't know how long it will take to have something like that in mixed martial arts and until we'll have something like a USA boxing that regulates the amateur version of the sport in MMA. But um, that's certainly a goal, you know, to work yeah. towards that. Well, you know, you bring that up, and I, I must admit I didn't thoroughly read all 178 pages of that document. It's, a long, I, <laughs> it's a long complaint. I did give it a pretty good skim, and uh, one of the things that is pointed out in there in the in the lawsuit is that, you know, professional MMA is illegal in, in New York City based on this ban from when, you know, mixed martial arts first uh, got started back when it was U, uh, not even UFC. I guess it was UFC, whatever, the early fights, the no-holds-barred uh, yeah. ones. At the time, it was UFC and Extreme Fighting were the two big uh, pay-per-view events that were going on. It was the previous owners of the UFC. It was uh, not the current owners under Zufa. But the point was made that now it's 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 much more professionalized. The regulation is much, much tighter than it was then. But ostensibly, under the language of the ban, amateur stuff is still legal on some level. And I, I know you can go click on YouTube right now and watch dozens of fights that they have in streets, you know, out in the open air there in New York. And they're not, of course, as intense as the cage matches. It's just guys getting it. But it's completely unregulated and completely, you know, uh, anything could happen at one of those things. And I, I don't ever see the cops rushing in to put a stop to that, you know. No, I mean, in fact, uh, you know, there have been cap- cops at some of the underground shows watching. You know yeah. I mean? It's like, I mean, in New York State right now, because uh, the culture that was set up o- o- with regarding this ban on uh, mixed martial arts, you know, it, after the ban immediately in 97, they didn't start shutting down amateur uh, events. You know, that came later under uh, a subsequent uh, commission that really wanted to wipe out the sport altogether, you know, in New York. So they just started uh, using the liquor law to, you know, and other other ways that they could sort of get around the fact that the, the ban specifically refers to professionals. Right. And, uh, you know, I mean, let's face it. I mean, I, I've ran amateur shows with my partner for several years, not mixed martial arts, but uh, kickboxing and, and other, other events. And, you know, if the state were to come in and shut us down, it's not like we had a huge uh, coffer to, to, to draw from to take them to court and sue them and say, hey, that's illegal, you know. So right. you basically had to shut down if they shut you down. There wasn't much you could do about it. So there's, it was around the early 2000s that they started shutting down amateur shows. And then, you know, we're at, we're at the point now in New York um, where you've got everything from completely unregulated, quote-unquote, underground shows which sort of still use the old no holds barred rules mm-hmm. you know just guys will come in and fight right and tough man um, contest basically well you know i have to say that it might have been like that in the early earlier days of these shows but in in within uh at least the new york city shows i've been to one by this one particular uh promotion the ucl that puts it on and then i've been to a couple of other uh, underground shows um over the years, you know, to put on by other people. And the quality actually has gotten a lot better just as the sport has grown, you know. And unfortunately, because it's illegal in New York, you know, guys that want to give it a try will go where they can, you know. So right. they, they go to the show. So the, actually the, the underground show that I went to um, earlier this year uh, in the city was the fights were actually pretty good. <laughs> okay. You know, I mean, they were really good. Nobody got nobody got hurt, you know, nothing nothing crazy. I mean, they were good fights. But of course, there is the potential for problems. There's no no um 
regulation by any sanctioning body or, you know, nobody's checking the blood work and there's generally no medical staff there, uh, things like that. So in a, on the other end of the spectrum, you'll have, say, a show like um, there's the show Upstate New York called the TNT Fight Series. And, and uh, that show came up specifically as a result um, of this lawsuit because w the initial complaint against uh, New York State in the, the filing of the lawsuit uh, didn't really address amateur as much as the revised version that I sent you did. But in uh, the state, in their defense of the initial complaint and uh, their motion to dismiss a couple of counts of, of the complaint, they actually admitted in their, in their response that amateur is legal. So they sort of opened this door, you know. They said, oh, we have no jurisdiction over amateur, you know, go ahead and do it. Right. So people have gone ahead and do it, done it, you know. So now you see a lot of shows creeping up all over New York, which um, can be very regulated. Like, so the promoter, uh, his name is Don Lilly. He's up in uh, Tonawanda, New York, which is a suburb of Buffalo. Yeah. I mean, he, he, you know, they did the right thing. They got a sanctioning body, uh, you know, the W, the USMTA, it's a Muay Thai sanctioning body. Okay. Uh, they didn't do the greatest job in terms of refereeing. They had inexperience in mixed martial arts refereeing. But um, what they did was, you know, they required the blood work, the physical, the all that stuff. They hired a, a veteran ringside, ringside doctor with 15 years of ringside fights to, to work the fight. They had the ambulance present. They did everything, you know, that promoter did everything that he would do as if it were a regulated fight by the commission. So you have every extreme in New York and, and everything in between, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's a hit or miss. Yeah. It sounds like this sort of this law in the books has sort of created a, a sort of a in-between gray area of pro-am now, you know, where, where they're doing almost everything you would do to make it professional, just not calling it that. Yeah, exactly. But I think, you know, one thing that people ask me all the time that are not from New York is why should we care about this lawsuit in New York is because um, because the sport is so much uh, still in its infancy. What happens in New York could affect the sport in other states very much so, it's particularly, I think, now that uh, amateur mixed martial arts is taking front and center uh, issue because, you know, it's it's a logical argument to say to New York, look, you're letting – this go on, this amateur scene that can be as bad as zero regulation or as good as, you know, like, let's say, uh, South Carolina or Jersey, Jersey level of regulation. But you're not allowing the professional stuff, which is extremely regulated. You know, it, yeah. it doesn't make sense. So where the state comes down on the amateur thing will be interesting to see. And, and I think it could have an effect on other states, you know, particularly states that don't have any regulation because um, – the Association of Boxing Commissions, which is the group of all the state organization, uh, the state boxing commissions, it's their collective group, has really been reluctant to come down and make any kind of standardized ruling on what, you know, what should be done regarding amateur MMA. They sort of avoided it, you know. Right. Let's yeah. try to wrap this around uh, 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 and sort of put a bow on the whole lawsuit thing. I mean, what do you think the the prospects are going forward with this? Do you think that this sort of argument from hypocrisy basically and the law is going to work how, how does this hinge on who you get in the judges bench you know what i know there's a lot of stuff that you can't <clears throat> say for certain but what's your feeling going forward with this how do you think this is going to play out if well, you had to predict? I, I think 
Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple of things in our favor regarding the lawsuit in New York. Uh, and we didn't really get in depth into the entire, you know, issue here in New York. But uh, in general, with the with the lawsuit, I would say that things that are in our favor this year as opposed to uh, next year, rather, as opposed to this year, because the legislative calendar is over in 2012. But um, next year is not an election year. So first off, you know, legislators are willing to do more risky things when they're not running for election. So absolutely, um, that will help us. Um, the second thing is uh, the different the the addition of the amateur MMA. Uh, let's just call it mistake that the the state made in their own defense will I think will come to hurt them uh, if this suit actually goes to fruition. You know, right now they're still jockeying back and forth with, you know, counter counter arguments, this and that. Uh, right. So they haven't even really, it hasn't even gone officially to court yet. You know, it's still the judges reading all this stuff. So um, there's two parallel tracks going on in New York. There's the legislative track. You know, there's a bill in the in the state assembly and Senate, you know, that will lift the ban. And then you've got this sort of second track of the lawsuit going on. So I think that there's a good chance that we may actually get it legalized next year uh, before the lawsuit is even finished, you know. So if the legislators do it first, then then we're good. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's sort of like who's going to do it first. But, um, you know, there were a lot of people here that in New York that were not in favor of of the lawsuit which, by the way, is funded by um, by the UFC. Um, right. the, there's many plaintiffs listed on the lawsuit. It's a it's it's um, Zufa et al. Officially, so there's there's Zufa is the main plaintiff who's sort of putting the money into this lawsuit. But there's a good number of other plaintiffs, um, you know, local New Yorkers and fighters and promoters who have signed on to this case. Uh, but there were people who were sort of not a, not in favor of this because they thought it would upset legislators who generally don't like you trying to go around the back end and try and uh, yeah, force them to do something. That's what know? I was going to ask. I mean, is there any possibility that the, that the lawsuit might actually <clears throat> sour enough legislators to push that off the table or at least temporarily? I doubt it. I doubt it because the, the reality of the situation in Albany is that most of the legislators are in favor of lifting the ban. It's just a few powerful old guys who, who uh, for different political reasons are not uh, allowing the legislation to get to the floor for a vote for the last three years the 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 legislation has passed in the Senate overwhelming every year more more yay votes um, it's the assembly that's uh kind of the, been the stumbling block and the the speaker of the assembly his name is uh, Sheldon silver he it's up to him even if the bill made it through every committee that it has to go through he decides what eventually makes it to the floor to get voted on. Right. It's a really corrupt system. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so every year we make it through committee after committee and then it never gets to the floor for a vote because he'll just give some bogus line about, you know, there's not enough support for it. Well, this year they actually called a conference. Uh, they were going to bypass the whole committee process. They called a conference of the entire assembly to discuss the issue. And uh, he came out and said that there was not enough support, so we're not going to do it. Meanwhile, the other people at the committee were like, you know, after after the fact, saying, what are you talking about? There was like a majority of hands in the air saying, let's vote for this, you know? Yeah. So 
you know, and, and then there's a whole other story about why he's opposed and, you know, what's going on politically with, uh, with the unions here and other stuff, which sort of is off the track of the amateur MMA thing. But right. overall, I think that next year we have a pretty decent shot. Yeah. Not, I never predict anymore. I, right. You know, every year we get closer and closer and we still don't get it. But uh, let's hope so. So, but, you know, I, I do think it, it's what I like about it is that it's going to bring the amateur issue into the forefront, which really is, I think, a neglected a neglected thing in our sport. Yeah, and it, it's it's starting to sound like just from what you've shown me and, and what I've read poking around that, uh, you know, if it's not next year, it's it's more or less an eventuality. It's just a matter of how long it takes, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's a it's not a if it's a when, right? right. It's just when is it going to happen? Yeah. And you know, um, the sad part is that most people and most most people in New York, including legislators who are not sort of hardcore fans, uh, equate the UFC with MMA. You know, they right. that's all they know. Right. They don't think about all the other smaller promotions and amateur shows and. B level shows and you know all that kind of stuff and uh, so uh, the average voter doesn't in New York doesn't really see this as important because they think of it as the, as the UFC which they can see on TV and who, you know who might come to New York once a year you know right. so we keep them out big deal um, but they don't think like uh, that there's going to be another forty nine or fifty shows every year or two in New York that aren't related to the UFC yeah. so. It's a big, it's an education issue. It's not, obviously, it's not the hugest, like, you know, there's bigger issues going on in New York State, like the fact that our state is broke, yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, massive other problems that they have to deal with. So they look at mixed martial arts as something that is not a pressing issue. Right. Well, one of the strongest arguments could be revenue, though, you know? I mean, absolutely. Does- absolutely. And that's where one of the, you know, mistakes I think that people are making when they argue in favor of this is because they focus on the revenue that one or two UFCs might bring to the state yeah. and not all the other events you yeah. know, that will come to local communities. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you draw more people into the gym. I, I just think, you know, in times like these, like we live here in red state buckle on the Bible belt, Georgia, and there's a, there's actually the occasional legislator that will come out and say, we need to legalize marijuana now, you know, because <laughs> they're, look, <laughs> they're looking for it anywhere, you know, and I don't blame I them. I mean, they're, you know, New York, we're, we're, we're on the cusp of legalizing, you know, uh, casino gambling and, and mm-hmm. you know, that. Same here. And so I, I find it ironic that the same legislators the same few legislators that are arguing against mixed martial arts because it's bad for society yeah, corrupting the youth yeah <laughs> yeah they're fine with putting uh casinos up you know in times square so right. you know i mean it's like look at any community i mean look at any community that surrounds uh, uh casinos i mean that there's nothing worse for a community than casinos you know and yeah. i'm still in favor of hey if you want to gamble go ahead but you know there's um a lot of a lot of families have a lot of problems because of gambling you know so uh, yeah but you know the way it stands right now people have to get in their cars and and you know tennessee or whatever and drive over the border into north carolina or cherokee you know it's <laughs> Uh, yep, yep. You know, don't gamble and drive. Just yeah, <laughs> let them yeah. do it <laughs> if they're going to do it. And, and spend the, you know, put a little money into, you know, loss harm prevention 
side of it and, you know, have programs for people that do have trouble with it. It's always better to face something squarely than to try to shuffle it off to another state or just say it's immoral and turn sure. your back on it, you know. But sure, sure. Or, you know, like here we on Indian reservations, we have it. And, uh, in fact, that's where a lot of the – we do have pro shows in, in New York, but they're on the Indian reservations. Right. <laughs> Let's leave this for now, but I definitely want you to keep us abreast of this. This is fascinating sure. stuff. Um, uh, there was another incident when we were talking about, you know, the regulations there in Jersey and the pre-fight physicals and all that stuff. And by the way, before we even segue into this, I uh, also, you sent me the, the New Jersey, uh, amateur mixed martial arts rules. And I was yes. pretty impressed with that. That is a, you know, that covers just about everything I could, I could think of. And it looks to do yeah. it pretty thoroughly. And I'm, the, the one thing is a traditional martial artist that kind of, it doesn't dismay, dismay me. It just sort of gives me a chuckle as I look through the list of prohibited tactics and techniques. <laughs> I and know I'm what like, you're going to say. That's, yeah. ha that's half my game right there. What? <laughs> I know. <laughs> well, even... you know, and uh, look, let's, let's face it. As a coach and a practitioner, I don't love the rules. I mean, I think that there can be, you know, like, for example, for the listeners, there's a couple of things like that uh, – are generally the the sticking points for people like uh, the fact that you allow punching to the head but not kicking right uh, in in the stand up uh, portion of the fight I'm referring to right um, so I, I personally think that's kind of ridiculous you know it's like uh, it's like taekwondo backwards yeah exactly <laughs> and you know and I and you know on the ground in the amateur ranks they don't allow uh, head strikes on the ground you know so. It definitely favors grapplers, um, you know, and I, I personally feel like the sport is the sport. Um, you know, I think it's kind of ridiculous to, to not allow someone to kick somebody in the head. Uh, if you're going to play this game, then that's the game, you know, because right. cause I don't really know if there's any evidence that uh, one is any worse than the other. Well, I, you know? I, the, the potential of getting a really solid kick to the head is so much lower than getting a really solid punch to the head. Exactly. Even if you can generate more force with the leg, I think it's just going to be so much more rare that yeah, that it's yeah. not going to be uh, any sort of real safety issue over and above the already you know somewhat risky nature of the sport itself. Uh, I will say just on uh, that I with New Jersey because um, I was just talking to Nick Lembo, who is the uh, the attorney for the. New Jersey Commission, uh, when I knew I was going to come on this show, I wanted to talk to him and just make sure I had my facts straight about that other case that you were going to bring up. And, uh, you know, he was saying that the the flip side of having regulation with a state commission is that in order to make changes, it, it involves, you know, the, the bureaucracy of having to rewrite everything and then get it approved. It's all, you know, it's all statutory changes. So it's it, you can't just make changes. And they have over the years adapted the the um amateur rules like for example when they first launched the rules in 2001 there was you were not allowed to follow somebody to the mat after a knockdown so if i hit you with a left hook and you would i wasn't allowed to follow you you know and that completely is not mixed martial arts you know right that's so boxing. <laughs> but they eventually got rid of that right <laughs> so um and i think over time they'll they'll modify these rules too as as they need to but I think it just takes time. Well, I know? think one factor in that maybe as, as refereeing and, and, and things like that get more and more standardized and the level of refereeing becomes higher. I think they may, maybe they'll give more leeway with techniques if they know 
they're, if they're more certain that the referee knows what he's doing and will know when to step in and put a stop to things and, and you know, be more yeah, conservative sure. on that side rather than just what's allowed in general. Well, it's important to note that, at least with New Jersey, and I, I think New Jersey is like one of the best commissions out there. I mean, I have the most experience working with them. And all my experience has been positive, but um, all the New Jersey commission referees, they they don't, you know, it's not like they have a, a crew that only does the amateurs and a crew that does the pros. You know, they treat it all the same. So, you know, guys that are fighting amateurs are still getting big Dan Mergliata and, and all the people that you would see, on, you know, ref in a UFC or a strike force, you know, yeah, they're going to referee the amateur fights too. I mean, these guys are experienced and really good wasn't always like that but you know it is like that now yeah new jersey um they they do require the blood tests and all that stuff like uh just like um south carolina the case we were talking about before yeah the physical has to be within um 6 weeks of your fight I believe, and the blood tests have to be within six months of the fight. So, okay, that's the difference. Then I saw in there every 180 days, but that's just for the blood tests. Yeah, the blood work is 180 days, and and the the basically your physical from your doctor has to be within six weeks of the fight. So, theoretically, you know, within six months, you could, you know, it'll be the same. The same blood test would be fine for that. Okay. I wonder how they set that uh, because, you know, it's just as far as the risk to the other fighter goes as opposed to the risk to yourself. It seems like the blood work would be one of the primary things because there often there is, a, you know, a fair amount of blood involved in one of these matches. Uh, just like boxing sure. or anything else, you can get cut and especially cuts on the extremities, the face and the hands and stuff. They, you know, they yep. tend to bleed like crazy. Well, the, the commission, you know, what's written as the, sta- as the baseline regulation, the commission's that at liberty to obviously modify that based on a particular fight and and they will you know they'll suspend people based on events in the fight or they might require that if you want to fight again you have to do xyz and show us the paperwork and you know things like that so um you know it's what's written on the paper as as the baseline this is what you must do the oftentimes is not what goes on in reality there may be more stringent requirements that have to happen based on what happens in a fight like if there's a knockout or a bad cut or Oh, okay. Uh, you know, whatever, you know. Right. I just, I guess I've got tickling the back of my mind here somewhere uh, that someday somebody's going to sue for assault with a deadly weapon if they catch AIDS in a mixed martial arts, you know, match <laughs> or something like that. But I, Well, you know, you could talk to, uh, where was it that, uh, well, that's a whole nother story, but there are commissions where, uh, oh, he's, his name's escaping me. Who's Who's the boxer? The, the the boxer the HIV positive boxer he was in uh, Rocky Rocky Five. Oh Tony uh, uh, yeah Tony Morrison Tony Morrison, Tony Morrison had a yeah. quote unquote MMA fight and none of the commissions none of the legitimate commissions would give him a license but uh, I don't want to say what state gave him the license but there was a state that gave him a license to fight and uh, that's crazy sorry yeah you know, he had some crazy argument about how. It was all his HIV diagnosis was a mistake, and this and that and the other thing. But it, so there, trust me, there there are states where you definitely don't want to, you know, unless you have your most awesome health insurance on your own and stuff like that. You know, maybe you don't want to fight there. Right. Well, I mean, Virginia uh, yeah. has a Virginia has a horrible reputation in terms of amateur fights and and pros. Um, and I've been down to Virginia for amateur fights, and there. 
they use the unified rules. They use the pro rules. They just uh, shorten the length of the rounds to three minutes. Um, and they have a little a heavier weight gloves. But everything else is the same, full elbows, the whole deal. There's no medical checks, no nothing. Basically, you sign a waiver and you, can, <laughs> you know, get You're, up on in there and start fighting. You know. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to seem like I'm nitpicking the rules of a really good organization like, you know, New Jersey or, or commission like New Jersey or someplace, because uh, let's face it. I mean, it's only been, what, five years here in America that the last state, you know, disallowed cockfighting. And, yeah. you know, yeah. so there's going to be a broad spectrum out there. And I think these are actually sure. really good. But let's let's go ahead. And, and uh, this is probably, you know, this may be uncomfortable for you, but let's go ahead and talk about this last one here. Uh, you sure. got a trainer up there that was actually faking medicals uh, for some of his fighters. Tell, right. tell us, give us the background on that and what, what's going on there. Well, um, yeah, Jersey, it turns out Jer uh, the state commission in New Jersey was investigating over several years a trainer. Um, his name is Phil Dunlap and I actually know him. I know him for a very long time and he's a, honestly is I, regardless of, of uh, this event, he's a really stand up guy and a great coach. I was actually very surprised when, when the, the news broke and um, you know, he, he made a statement afterwards, you know, admitting his mistake and, and saying that it was really to shield his guys from uh, financial, you know, financial uh, expenses that they had to do to fight amateur. And um, I'm not going to pass any judgment on anybody. I mean, we've all made stupid mistakes before. You oh, know? yeah. I th yeah, I think the uh, the bigger issue that comes out of that is is that probably there are other, you know, other trainers that are doing the same thing. Yeah, maybe with less in, in well-intended uh, motivation, um, you know. But like most athletic commissions, I know New Jersey at least is very understaffed, you know, and they're not able to look over everything, and they they kind of just have to look at red flags that may appear now and then, and then follow leads, you know, because you know if you're doing forty fights a year, and all those fights have, you know, twenty twenty to thirty guys on each card. Right. You know, and you have a staff of two at the commission, you know, it's 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 impossible to follow up on all that stuff. So I'm sure it, it happens a lot more than than uh is is known, but um in any event he did falsify the medicals over a period I think from two thousand seven to two thousand eleven. Uh the total was about thirty five uh medical forms, I think for maybe ten guys. And um you know, everybody was pretty shocked, and I and I think he, it's a it is a little uncomfortable because I know him, so it's like, yeah. but hey, uh, he's doing the right thing. He's you know he's admitted his mistake, and uh, and yeah. it is what it is. But the bigger issue is that it's kind of like what I said before. You know, there there are definitely um, people who are not in favor of the regulation, you know, and there are people are who are in favor of it, and there's every flavor in between. And the bottom line is the fight business is. Uh, you have to let's just say you have to be really confident in who you're getting involved with uh, and comfortable, you know, in terms of coaching and and who you're going to work with and things like that. And, uh, and as a from fighter's perspective, just make sure that things are getting done, you know. Yeah. Although in this because case, all these guys, yeah, all these guys, all those fighters got you know one year suspensions, and it was a, you know the Phil has a squeaky clean record, you know, so they. They're not dropping the hammer on him, you know. I think he's going to get probably like a fine and community service and something like that. 
Right. And luckily, nothing uh, – one of the things I called the commission specifically about because I knew I was going to be on this podcast was to ask if there was anything that arose during a fight that could have been detected or, you know, anything that was uh, directly related. And, and nothing – you know, there was nothing. You know, all the guys were fine after the fights, all that kind of stuff. Thankfully, nothing happened. Just regarding the the, uh, the cost of the medicals, yeah, it costs money. But I know I know that New Jersey does do what they can to uh, to help cover that you know cover that cost. They have um, there's a medical center that the commission works with that that every fighter, amateur or pro, can go to to get their physical at a discounted rate. And in in New Jersey, HIV it's state law that every everybody can get HIV and hepatitis screenings for free. So, so they can take advantage of that to belay some of the cost. Yeah, exactly. And so, I was uh, going to ask you, wouldn't it, it? It sounds like they're doing that already. It, it seems like you could eliminate at least some of the cost by streamlining. You know, if there were just a couple of centers in every state where people could go and they were prepared to do it, they could do it quickly. You know, they could. A yeah, lot of times, yeah. you know, like just even working with veterinarians, like we would always find one when I was uh, working at the animal shelters that we're like, okay, we're going to bring you a lot of cats to spay. You know, feral cats. Yep. But can you give us a discount because we're going to bring you volume, that sort of thing? Well, the, New Jersey definitely does that. They have that, you know, they have the facility they work with. Um, but it's a good thing. I mean, I, you know, I think if you are a coach that is putting a lot of um, fighters out there to talk to a, a, a physician, you know, and see if you can work out some kind of deal and be like, hey, look, you know, we got a lot of guys who are going to need physicals, you know. And uh, let's let's uh, if if we send all our guys to you, will you help us out? You know, some kind of agreement like that. And you know, most a lot of gyms anyway. I don't want, I don't want to say, but maybe you would even find it with uh, with your student with your student body. You know, I mean, we have medical professional students in our in our uh, gym. Mm-hmm. You know, there's and so you know, one of the things I love about being a coach is that you know. Let's say I have a hundred, a hundred active students right now. I there's there's like people in all walks of life that like when my computer crashed last week, the tech person that helped me fix it was a student, you know. So, yeah. and um, so you, it, there's usually a good field of people that where you can find someone who's going to help you out with stuff. And uh, yeah, if you not, know, if not just room to barter, then at least somebody who's interested in the sport and the art or whatever, and and you know wouldn't yeah. mind spending a little time helping it out. Yeah, sure, sure. So, I mean, I think, you know, I can't speak for Phil. I think probably what happened is, you know, like like most people who get sort of habitually into something wrong like that, that they do it once or twice for, away for with a legitimate it. reason and yeah. then just, oh, okay, let's just keep doing it, you know. Right. And uh, so thankfully nobody was hurt and, um, you know. No, his, it just points out it just points out a, a sort of a topic in the system of amateur MMA, really. Right. Now, one question I had on this uh, wasn't entirely too clear to me in the article was, uh, yeah, I was going to ask. Uh, you know, you said you know a lot of these fighters were going to take a year suspension out of this, but they were aware this was going on, right? Or was this going on behind the um, backs? I they almost have to be aware. Know. Yeah. I mean, my assumption is they knew. You know, what was interesting, and I guess uh, I don't know the answer to this question, but one thing that I was going to say, though, that people should know that in, in 2000, they didn't, New Jersey didn't start requiring the blood tests until 2010. So, um, and he did not falsify any of those uh, after 2010. It was just uh, the the form that the doctor fills out for the physical. Right. And, um, 
and he signed he signed the waivers for some of the fighters. Like he signed their names. Oh, okay. Uh, so that's really what it was. It, so I'm assuming the fighters knew about it because they fought. <laughs> right. You know, they were there. They fought. Uh, so, but he didn't falsify any blood work. All the blood work was legit. It was it was the physical the the doc, the form that the doctor would fill out. Well, that's good. At least again, you know, if uh, not trying to justify it, but if you know, the blood work is where the other party has a real serious chance of being harmed. And, you know, if the people that are on the other side of it are going into it with open eyes, well, then at least they're taking their own chances. Sure. But, sure. You know, yeah. Well, it sounds like Have a good you, guy that got caught up in a mess. And, and that, that's what I think. I would still send somebody to train with him. I mean, the guy is like, uh, I've, I've known him for, for so long and he, he trains really good guys and he treats his team like a family. I mean, it's very close knit. Uh, he doesn't have a gigantic team, and um, you know he used to have guys in our shows when we were promoting shows back in the day. And um, I've trained at his gym, and um, I see the way he is with his with his with his fighters, and he cares for them like they're his kids, you know. So yeah. um, I think he just made a mistake and kind of kept it going because you could, and you know, probably it was just better that he got caught and he could do a restart, you know. Yeah, yeah, get back on the straight and narrow, and hopefully this won't be too big a deal for his career in the future yeah yeah for sure awesome well um you know before i let you go i i had just one more little topic i'll throw out there and if you don't have anything to say about it that's fine but i thought you might okay uh if you got time if you got a second yeah i got time i got a little time okay um recently somebody pointed out to me that uh that they were they've been trying to get uh, women into the UFC to get women's matches going. And, uh, you know, one of the things we had knocked back and forth a little bit is kind of, it seems like the pool is getting a little shallow over there due to injuries and other stuff on the men's side. And right. then Dana White's coming out saying, well, there's just not enough women to, to, to do this or whatever. What's your feeling on that? Do you think they should get into that or, or are they dragging their feet um, for some particular reason or? I'm, I'm a big supporter of women competing in MMA. In fact, I don't even like to call it women's MMA. I just call it MMA. You right. know, it's just they happen to be women fighters. Uh, but I'm a I'm a big fan of women competing in MMA. Uh, and it is true that there is a, a shallower pool of fighters to choose from. But that is that pool is getting deeper every day. Um, and the UFC has historically sort of not supported women in MMA. You know when they when they purchased strike force they kind of uh bought the farm you know because strike force had a women's division right and uh the problem with strike force is that uh you know the ufc has basically pruned it to to nothing but a corpse with a heartbeat they've taken all the good fighters over to the ufc and uh they've eliminated a couple of the weight divisions and you know this and that i mean I, my original theory was that they were going to take all the, the men fighters and put them in, in UFC and leave Strike Force as a women's league, which might have been a smart move for them, you know? Yeah. Um, I, for anybody listening who's really interested in women's mixed martial arts, I would check out Invicta, Invicta Fighting Championships. They got their third card or fourth card coming up soon, and um, they put on an incredible show. It's out of, uh, I think they, they're out of Kansas City, maybe. I've heard All of their shows to date are for free. You can log on to their website and watch the shows. And they're very well produced. 
Um, you've got the same commentators, you know, like Mauro Ranallo that you'll see from Strike Force and Pride. He does Invicta, and you, it's they, and it's an all women's card. Cool. And they have some really, really good fights on there. And for example, I just uh, we just had a one of our guys fought in Philadelphia, where it's always sunny, by the way. Right. And, <laughs> <laughs> and there was a, a mixed card. You know, they had uh, it was a pro amateur card where the undercard were amateurs and the the main card was pros and and the pro card was split women and and men and the women's fights were incredible i mean there's a woman uh that fights out of new jersey muna holland who unfortunately just lost on bellator friday but um she's an incredible fighter and, and and a big draw very talented uh so there is a really good amount of female fighters out there that if there were a solid venue that really catered to it i mean part of part of the reason why you know the pool is shallow is because there really hasn't been a place for women to go to fight right and i and i do really think that if you like if invicta keeps growing like this i i i don't see them not getting some kind of television deal you know in the future but you've got um strike force has a women's division and bellator has a women's division, and and in 2013, Bellator is moving from MTV2 over to Spike, so they're gonna like increase their viewership by tenfold, and um, they could grow to be like the showcase you know venue for for women since uh, the UFC is not gonna do it, and I and I don't know how much longer Strikeforce is gonna survive really, right? Um, so yeah, I'm I'm all for women fighting. I, in fact, I think a lot of times their fights are be- the better fights on the card. You know, well, I, I like watching women's fights for the same reason I like watching women's basketball. It's much more fundamentals driven and much more the kind of game that I could play as opposed to, <laughs> you know, you get the top elite dudes that are, you know, doing six foot flying slam dunks or, yeah, you totally. know, rocket propelled crap. And I'm like, that's I can't play that kind of basketball. And I, I don't even really enjoy watching it as much as I watch what enjoy watching people, you know, do the nitty gritty, the fundamental stuff. I mean, yeah. I mean, and the women's fights do tend to be more uh technical bouts you know and and i think part of that is for every female fighter in a gym you know most of them are training with 99 percent men and they're always having to train against men and i know one of the difficulties for female fighters is finding female sparring partners uh you know that are capable of sparring at the level that a pro would need and uh and things like that so when you when you get uh Two women together who have spent their time training against the guys who may be physically stronger, you know, usually get really good fights. But I've also heard, you know, on the down low from people at at various gyms that, like, for example, Ronda Rousey has armbarred dudes in sparring practice and stuff like that, but they just don't want to admit it publicly, you know. Right. <laughs> I mean, she's a beast, you know, and uh, like like uh, like Muna, the woman I was telling you about before, I have no doubt that she could take out a guy, yeah. you know, like – I mean, their their her technique is phenomenal, and uh, just like Ronda's are. So yeah. why shouldn't they fight? You know, I, I personally I think the UFC is making a mistake. Yeah, like you said, with the shallow pool that they have regarding injuries, and and I mean they're they're spread so thin right now. With uh, do you know that they've had seven consecutive main events that had to be scrapped or canceled because of an injury? Seven. No, I, mean, I didn't know it was that bad. Yeah, I mean there was the big bad. one with John Jones and uh, well, sorry, I'm spacing the other guy's name not too long ago, but oh yeah, with um, Dan Henderson. Yeah, 
And um, but they've had seven consecutive main event fights that have had, and I don't even think that includes the strike force that was just canceled because of an injury. So why not add a women's division? You know, if you're spread so thin, trying to keep the men's show afloat, add the women's division. Yeah. Right. Well, uh, they'll probably be missing out on something if they don't get on the bandwagon. Hopefully, it'll it'll pick up steam. And uh, yeah, I think they will. I mean, because. At, at the end of the day, Zufa's a business, and they want to remain competitive, right? I mean, it's uh, uh, regardless of what Dana White or anybody else feels about whether women should be fighting or not. In the end of the day, it's they want to make money, right? And if if Bellator or Invicta starts uh, surpassing them in in that area, they're going to try and do something about it. Yeah, you can, you can guarantee that. So, uh, you know, because with Zufa, it all comes down to you know making the big bucks. It's you know they're they're huge multinational corporation so uh you know yeah. they have offices and around the around the globe so if somebody starts eclipsing them in an area they're surely going to try and stop it yeah if somebody upstairs sees money being left on the table i'm sure that uh, <laughs> the poop yep. will roll downhill accordingly um, yeah for sure well just one little aside on this and and then i'll let you go because i know you need to get your popcorn popped and everything for dexter but uh just tell me if this is completely wacky. Do you think, and I know there's not much overlap there, but if, if men and women competed, controlled for weight class together, do you think that would work at all? Or is there some reason that that just couldn't work? That's a good question. And, and I have a, a very specific answer for you because now I personally feel that there should not be like in the sport, right? right. In the sport. In the sport. In not in, I have, I know they can compete in self-defense. <laughs> Yeah, of course, of course. Uh, but in the sport, I, I'm sort of not in favor of mixed gender matches. There's just, you know, a lot of uh, uh, a Cult- lot of room for for problems, right? There's a lot uh, of cultural baggage no that would have to be gotten around. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, you know, on that, I, I tell guys because we have some female students at the school, and and I know a lot of guys are uncomfortable with grappling with girls or or or, or training alongside women. I always put it in the perspective. It's funny. I was listening to your last show with the – what's his name? The Skeptic. Right? Yeah, Evan Bernstein. And, yes. Yeah, that was, that was a good show. And, and you, so you guys were talking about the language and how you frame stuff. And I always frame that, that, that uncomfort level that some guys have training with women and vice versa, that mm-hmm. women may have training with men, as this is just another barrier in your training, you know? Yeah. And um, you need to overcome that, you know? And, and so if, if you're letting – some ego-based problem stop you from getting good training in, then then that's a problem you need to overcome, you know? But um, regarding the sport, though, I'm still not in favor of cross-gender competition. But I will tell you that what is really interesting is that in the the Army Combatives program Mm -hmm. and the Army Combatives tournaments, the the National Army Combatives tournaments are all mixed-gender. Okay. And and they're – rationale and i agree with it is like you people are soldiers you know you're gonna have to fight against a man and you may have to fight against a woman and and this and that and the other thing so this year actually is the first year that in the mixed gender event the a woman won her weight class she beat all the guys yeah (laughs) so um and i know uh, my friend john rankin who's down in um in uh tennessee and he he's there there he's out of fort campbell combatives he was saying that when they started the uh, – the this is the second year they had the national tournament or the third, I forget. But when they started that, the, the generals were like, you can't have women fighting men. And, and they're like, why not? You know, these, these are soldiers. This isn't like a sport 
uh, endeavor. This is a military endeavor. Right. You know, and if and so yeah, it's pretty cool. This year is the first year that a woman won. So awesome. It's pretty good. So yeah. So I think that yeah. proves it can be done. And you know, on the traditionalist side, I think it's almost always the men that get hung up on that stuff. Uh, yeah. We have a lot fewer women that you know that show up for classes, but the ones that do are they're not touchy. You know. <laughs> yeah, they tend to be yeah. pretty practical minded and, and, you know, they don't shriek and jump on a table, uh, you know, if somebody accidentally touches their boob with their elbow, you know? Yeah. yeah but totally. the guys get all icked out and they, they're like, Oh God, I'm sorry. You know, they- <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true. But I think you would see a change if you were doing a lot more, uh, grappling. Yeah. You know, there's, That's there's, true. there's a definite, uh, difference in, in female attendance in martial art programs that are predominantly stand up. Yeah. And maybe with some uh, with some takedowns and stuff mm-hmm. versus grappling, you yeah. know, um, there's some psychologically uncomfortable positions. But, you know, at the same time, those are positions that you in an attack may very well end up in, you know. So right. I've, o- I've always thought that uh, self-defense programs for women that didn't involve, for example, a woman being on her back with a man in her guard, you know, were are not fair to the woman. You know, I mean, if you strictly uh, stay in the stand-up portion of your self-defense training and don't even address that stuff and uh, get get your students comfortable with with that, just being there, you know, just that alone, that comfort level is very important. Um, Then you're cheating the the female students that you that you have, you know, and uh, and a lot of women won't come to our program very much because of the grappling part. And I know that a lot of grappling schools have the same problem. Yeah. You know, our kickboxing programs and other stuff, the women, no problem. But when it comes to like having a big sweaty, ugly dude on top of them, you know, it's like, <laughs> right. man, I don't even like some of these guys on top of me. Are you kidding me? They're, they're, they're yeah. I have this guy today. I told him next week, that hair of yours better be cut. I can't take this long hair in my face <laughs> when you're on top of me. The guy's huge. <laughs> yeah. He weighs about 250 pounds, if not more. I'm fighting off my back and, and I'm trying to take a deep breath and I've just got wads of hair like going down my, it's like disgusting. I said, you cannot come back to you cut that hair. Man. So hippie, get out of here, hippie. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, you know, grappling is, is, can be, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. You're, yeah. you're sweaty people rolling around with each other. It's yeah. what it is. And, and, you know, maybe that is the kind of thing that uh, we can all strive to find better ways of addressing, whether it's in traditional or in sporting martial arts, you know, uh, maybe mm-hmm. isolate that experience with a little tighter control, maybe an outside observer being very careful to walk everybody through sure. it, you know, that sort of thing to just put people a little more at ease. But in the end, you know, it's it's sweaty people, you know, doing yep. sweaty yep. things. So, well... Dang, Steve, I've had you on here for quite a while now. I, I, I promised you I uh, would just, uh, you know, oh, 15, 20, 30 minutes. <laughs> and we got off. <laughs> no, on man, it. but, you know, I can't, I can't believe uh, I keep missing uh, your partner in crime, you know. Like, this is the second time on. And it's, I know. I, 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 I love talking to you, too, but next time we get, it, it's got to be. Uh, I'll make sure we know. do that. Like I said, I had a whole, like, uh, they were going to actually be th- counting myself three of us on the other end of this thing. And uh, we just, uh, you know, Craig took ill yesterday, and I, I turned into a bullfrog overnight. So between the two of those things, uh, we just go ahead, went ahead and told the other guests to, to wait till next week because I don't want to pass this around if it's something contagious. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, for sure. So uh, I think you'll be safe over there on the other end of Skype, though. But uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Definitely got to get I Craig so. on, on on here with you next time. We'll make sure and do that. And we do want to have you back, you know, uh, and keep us uh, updated on the mixed martial arts world and. Uh, and, uh, yeah, but, just martial arts too. I want to talk regular martial arts with you guys next time. Okay, we'll we'll make it a point to do that. You know, before we get off here, is there anything new in your world you want to give your contact info again? Uh, let people know about anything that's going on. Well, regarding the MMA thing in New York, you know, people can check out our blog. It's uh, nymmanow.org, and um, we've got a documentary that is scheduled to be released at the end of this year. We don't have a release date yet, but we did sign a distribution deal, and um, it premiered last year at the Bronx Film Festival, and we've done the festival circuit. It's gotten good reviews. It's it's all about the the state of MMA in New York and the illegal nature of it. Uh, so you can check out the website for the film. That's nymmafilm.com, or maybe it's mmafilm.com. Try both of those. You'll find one of them will yeah. get you where you got to go. Or they should uh, check you out on Facebook because I've, I've seen you post about it there. It's a good good place to get your aggregated uh, Steve Kep for news. Yeah, totally. You can you can just find me uh, on Twitter at Sambo Steve and, uh, you know, on Facebook uh, just under my name, Steve Kepfer. There you go. Well, thanks a million. Cool, and uh, uh blast talking to you as always, and I'll make sure come hell or high water next time you've got – You've got Craig here. You'll you'll be shocked when you see him. It's it's kind of tragic, but uh, well, there was one episode you guys did where it's like after a party or something. You guys were I, I got to come down live for one of those. Now you're talking. Uh, now, yeah, that was that one sounded like fun. I was like, man, I, I got to be on that show. I got to get a flight down there. <laughs> hey, you never know. Maybe we'll take this thing on the road here one of these days. My recorder oh, fits cool. in a backpack. You know, you guys are always welcome, man. Oh yeah, well. We'd love to come up there and check you out, and I haven't been back to New York more than twice since I lived there in the early 90s, so I, I really need to make amends for that. Cool. All right, buddy. I will talk to you soon, and thanks again for coming All on right. High Eye. All right. Thanks a lot, man. Okay, folks, we're back. Uh, once again, enjoy the hell out of talking to Mr. Slam and Sambo Steve Kepfer. So, uh, hope you guys enjoyed that too. And Craig, I hope you get caught up on that real soon.
I imagine I will by the time everybody else is hearing this. But and uh, again, you know, uh, that's uh, we don't talk a whole talk a whole lot about MMA except when we have him on. So uh, when when these shows pop up, this is your chance, MMA folks. If you want to get a word into us, uh, ask questions, bring up yeah. topics, you know, let us know, and and we'd be glad to drag him in front of the expert too. You don't have to even be the MMA um, completely. I mean, uh, you know, Brazilian Jiu Jitsu guys or. Or the component styles that usually go into an MMA. Yeah, no Sambo um, guys or anything yeah. like that. So, yeah. Because they're all very much sport of arts that can, you know, kind of relate. Yep. You need to take advantage of this resource just like we are. Exactly. What you doing there, Dave? Oh, you know, I'm uh, fiddling with something. All right. Then I'd rather you not. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Well, guess what? What's that, Dave? What in the hell? You've got mail. We've got mail. Is that the mailbag I see? Yeah, let me uh, let me get in here and rustle around in this bad boy. I'd like to see that sock puppet about now when you shake him around and go, We got mail. We got mail. <laughs> <laughs> you know, next time we have to Skype one of these, I'm going to have one of those for you just to crack you up <laughs> and make I it impossible for you to function. Thank you. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. Well, we got it. We got a couple of letters in here. Uh, a couple of feedback letters. Let's uh, let's go with the big one first because this also ties right back into just our previous episode. So it's nice to oh. get some quick turnaround on the feedback like that. Indeed. And and even though we're 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 open for feedback and everything, we're searching for it. Um, we didn't probably clarify. No, dear Abby, shit. That that's uh that was a little ridiculous on that one. We're not really going to read that one over there. All right. So. Just, just so you know, listeners, he's making this shit up. <laughs> or if he's getting love, Lauren requests, he sure ain't showing them to me. <laughs> All right, so this first one right here we've got is from uh, John R. We'll say that again. Remember, folks, if you want us to use your whole name, we'd love to, but please just give us permission in your email. Yeah, uh, this is from John R. And uh, the subject is episode seventeen. Oh, that's the last one up, isn't it, Dave? Yes, it is. The most recent one. So uh, let's just take this kind of a piece at a time as we go through. Uh, he says, hello again. hi has become one of my favorite podcasts. You guys continue to grab some pretty diverse and interesting interviews, and your listenability and consistency don't hurt either. Why, thank you. We're working on that. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I was just listening to your interview with Evan Bernstein on episode 17, and a few things occurred to me. Uh, it's good to hear that skepticism is high on everyone's priority list and discussions about the nature of martial arts training, what it is and is not is a topic I could never tire of. So it was kind of strange that you have a guest on one who ostensibly professes skepticism and tells us that he got, uh, that he both got into martial arts because of his daughter and is only passingly familiar with other arts. I would have expected a skeptic to be very particular about such a thing. Some cursory research, perhaps. Okay, let's take that from the top. <laughs> Where'd you go, Craig? <laughs> Here I went. Man, um, well, uh, hey, me, hold me, on, hold on, hold on. Okay. Are we sure he wanted us to read that one over there? Yeah, I think so. Okay, I just want to be sure because, like, we're calling out Evan, kind of, it seems like. Well, uh, I, I think I can respond at least in some sense to to answer some of these questions. And, of course... We'd love to have Evan back on to talk about any of this. Uh, he, he's more than free to defend himself. Yeah, we'd love to talk to him again. But I, I think I can clarify some of this. And, you know, he's he's fine to ask these questions. I don't have a problem with it. And I don't, I don't okay. think Evan would either. The first thing, uh, 
is, uh, you know, ostensibly professes skepticism. Maybe what we didn't make clear enough during the interview is that what they do over at Science Based uh, um, at uh, Skeptics Guide to the Universe is called uh, particularly scientific skepticism. So if you confuse that with general skepticism and and sort of a negative light, or you know, there there are plenty of conspiracy theorists, etc., out there that call themselves skeptics. Yep, like you. And don't really know, uh, you know, aren't really applying scientific skepticism. They're just saying, oh, I don't think that's right. So that's right. <laughs> that's how we rock. Animal. That is how we rock. And uh, one one thing a scientific skeptic knows is that they are not an expert on m- most things. And, uh, you know, I don't think Evan ever came across in the interview as being an expert on martial arts in general or even trying to be. So, you know, maybe uh, – Maybe if you redefine what you're looking for in skepticism, it won't be so unusual that he he didn't research every martial art under the sun before he picked one and started it. In other words, <laughs> cut the guy some slack. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what Dave's trying to say here. So, you know, some cursory research. Uh, really, you got to ask yourself, what's the problem with that? You know, um, the things that we train and why we train them, especially at first when you're new to martial artists. Now, a lot of us started this as kids. He started as an adult, but I don't think that changes the fact that a lot of that's going to be decided by your location, your family, other factors like that. You know, the thing that catches your interest first. You're not, Mm -hmm. you know, when I went to my first karate class, I wasn't like, hmm, no, I don't know about this karate stuff. Let me go try the taekwondo (laughs) class and then let me go try the judo class and then let me go try the. From which to judge, man. Right. (laughs) So at the very least, he's establishing a solid base point. Um, Yeah. So, you know, hopefully that answers that question, uh, at least to, to some satisfaction. Peanut butter cookies, brother. <laughs> right, Craig. Okay. Uh, let me move on to the next paragraph. Oh, excuse me. Oh, you know, one other thing I'd like to point out, when you talk about scientific skepticism, I mean, a, a person like that is going to judge medical issues, uh, scientific topics, stuff like that, by referring to primary sources, to the scientific literature, to that sort of thing, and acknowledging oh. that they're not an expert in everything, but they know where to look for the expert opinion. So right? they'll give references and whatnot. Right. Almost um, like a journal, academic journal or something. Exactly. And I mean, in martial arts, there's nothing like that. Now, right. the Journal of Asian Martial Arts is the <laughs> well, closest thing. Unfortunately. And they, they just put out their last issue we'll have a lot more of that on a future episode by the way they've uh they put out a book uh, this is just an aside but they put out a they're putting out a book soon that i happen to have received a galley copy of that i am just enjoying very much right now <laughs> so uh we'll we'll have a lot more to say about that you on dipped a your spoon episode. into that puppy didn't you i did and i'm all right. stirring it up all right um, so really, you know the the standards of skepticism that that he maintains in what he does are not that easy to apply to martial arts. Right. So, you know, uh, it's, I wouldn't conflate him not being a good skeptic with not having a huge knowledge of martial arts. Anyway, moving on. Uh, <laughs> additionally, there was the discussion of reality based scenario training, but not a lot of detail about how his Krav Maga school informs that training. As I'm sure you're aware, deadly and street-based and so on are buzzwords a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing use to sucker in students looking to assuage their fears. Works for me. But actually actually going to the trouble of collecting skilled professionals with directly relevant experience and really living up to something quote-unquote reality-based is an extravagance few can afford to indulge. 
I would have been very curious to know more about that, especially seeing as Krav Maga has no single governing authority and I believe is very vulnerable to the kind of fantasy-based training we skeptics do not approve of. Okay, well, let's let's take this a piece of time. <laughs> I like a good fantasy as much as the next guy, though, brother. Come yeah. on, with it. Well, you know, um, a lot of styles say things about being more street-oriented than sport-oriented. So, yeah. Northern Shaolin, we street, yo. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you're absolutely correct that, that, that those can be buzzwords for wolves in sheep's clothing. But you have to understand something about the people that we interview. Um, a lot of times we try to interview people who have some knowledge in a subject that we don't have that much knowledge of. And any martial arts we go on, especially if they're not right up our narrow alley of stylistic preferences, we've got to give them some benefit of the doubt. You know, uh, you know, if, if something sounds like outright bullshit to us, we'll call yeah. it, you know, but, uh, I don't think the light that we don't is, know anything about it. I don't. Right. Sure. I don't I've think, only heard of the art and I knew it came from Israel and that's about it. That's yeah. about it. So, you know, we got to start somewhere too with our research and, uh, that was a good place to do it. And, you know, uh, I've, I've already heard from some other people on this one too, that, that they, hope he uh, expands, you know, what he's seen in, in martial arts because he did seem kind of unaware that a lot of other martial arts practice street scenarios, techniques that are not legal in the ring, that sort of thing. <clears throat> but again, the guy's been training in one style. So, you know, gotta, you got to cut him some slack on that. <laughs> and, yep. you know, we don't, we, we can be skeptical, skeptical about certain things that just about anybody that comes on here will say, but unless we actually know better, what are we supposed to do? Yeah. We, we try to find out. But, uh, you know, and from what he described, it sounded like the same sort of things that most schools that have a re reality-based, you know, penchant um, would be doing with their students. So Plus, this is a personal podcast. We're not trying to present the perfection of what we all want to hear. We're presenting people and ourselves as the way they are and their understanding. Yeah. And, you know. That's that's just the nature of the, uh, the beast. We we all wish all teachers could be the uh, the you know old man with the long beard up on that cloud floating around and you know whatever, but that's not reality. Yeah, <laughs> you know. Well, speaking of reality, uh, but again, he makes a good point that you do have to be careful of language like that, and you you know you have to figure out how you're going to evaluate if that if the claims they're making are really true or not. We just we don't have any direct information about his school, so we can't say if they are true or not. Yeah, true. Uh, um, and when it gets into this part, um, the part about uh, actually Which going part? to the trouble of collecting skilled professionals with directly relevant experience and really living up to something reality-based is an extravagance if you can afford to indulge. I mean, by that definition, you may well be right, but how much, you know, are we talking people who have killed other people on the street? Do you have to have killed someone in a street fight to teach street self-defense? You know, it's, where do you draw that line? <laughs> I mean, for instance, you know, I'll tell people I've worked in I law enforcement. I boxed him in the nose. Yeah. I, I've, I've worked in law enforcement. I've, I've had, you know, experience in my job and stuff. But you know what? I was the dog catcher. Does that count? <laughs> I mean, I think it counts because I had to go into dangerous neighborhoods without a gun and without body armor and by myself, which <laughs> is a lot. Yeah, how many dogs did you catch, Dave? Oh, just about all of them, buddy. <laughs> just about all of them. <laughs> and I also had to deal with, you know, very angry people. Uh, so what I did was different from what someone with police experience will do, different from someone from what someone with military experience will have done different from what someone who works as a professional bodyguard or security guy will have done. 
So, you know, we, I think we have to leave that definition pretty broad. Um, and if you leave it broad enough, then it's not really that hard to find someone. It's not that extravagant to find someone who has some sort of reality-based experience, even if it's just in their own personal lives, you know, yeah. <laughs> the old swap and paint scenario. So, you know, again, I, I, uh, I would have to understand exactly where your standard is to really respond to that, but I think maybe you're setting the bar a little bit high. <laughs> just my opinion, though, and you're glad. I'd be more than happy to hear back from you on this if we misrepresent anything that you're saying, honestly, because we love hearing stuff like this. It gets a conversation started over here. And as far as Krav Maga having no signal governing authority, uh, Craig, you got any signal governing authority over there at Shaolin? <laughs> Because I don't over here. Well, actually, I do. You're looking at it right here. <laughs> That's it? <laughs> That's you? That's all I got. <laughs> I mean, I, I think... Uh, no, like in our stuff, in traditional Chinese martial arts, yeah. I mean, we've had people come and try and validate our lineage and stuff like that. Unfortunate thing is, we can't point them anywhere to reference. They're like, you got a member of an association, stuff like that. What's the matter if I am, dude? I paid $25, dollars or whatever it might be. They, what's that mean? <laughs> right. Yeah. In and of itself, it doesn't really signify anything. And you also, uh, you also have to acknowledge that there are a lot of large governing bodies in certain in martial arts out there that play fast and loose with uh, the facts and you know history and all that stuff to for promotional purposes or nationalism or for you know any other reason. Yeah. I mean, one one pseudo controversy I can think of, kind of off the top of my head, is uh, I think it's the World Taekwondo Federation still promotes this idea of Taekwondo being an ancient art, and most there goes David Jones, yeah, there goes David Jones, y'all. Well, most most of the higher level Taekwondo practitioners that I've talked to about it and researchers have pointed out that no, probably a good percentage of that comes from Shotokan after World War II, and uh, you know. But the that seems to be the scholarly consensus on it. But the that's my personal opinion. But too, the Taekwondo but Foundation continues to promote it as an ancient or. art. You know why are they doing it? You'd have to ask them. But I think it has to do with promotion, nationalism, all that kind of thing. It's hard to fault them for it. But uh, you know, again, this is why you got to be skeptical all the time with this sort of stuff. Hey, if I was if I was a country and I saw a country, you know, that was next to me and they were bigger, powerful and experienced, I'd say, Excuse me, may I copy you for a moment? And then I'd create my own identity. Right. And there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> hey. <clears throat> but uh, you know, so Again, there's no guarantee even if you've got a single governing authority. And as a matter of fact, in a lot of cases, it gives you a veneer of authority that you really shouldn't have. So I much prefer people, uh, you know, kind of uh, standing or falling based on their own individual merits in this game. In, oh, until we figure out some sort of objective way of doing it, which I doubt we ever will. Hey, being subjective is the way to be. That's the subject. <laughs> well, it all depends on what you're talking about. So... Uh, Subjectivity. We can we can talk about that again later. <laughs> uh, he also says it doesn't help that both he and his wife are instructors, and there was reference to his daughter receiving a black belt sometime in the near future. He says I don't know what that actually means in the context of their group, but if I, as a prospective student, heard that, I might be looking for some clarification. And you know, I think that all boils down to we don't know what that means in his group, and we probably should have asked him that question. Uh, cause we have railed on about child's black belts and stuff like that before, 
But I have a feeling from the way he was describing it that uh, them teaching would be something that, like we would call student teaching, you know, still under the supervision of his teacher and handling lower students, which is what we do Tyler all the time. Ninja. <laughs> all right, Craig, you're wandering off on me. Amir, I just thought of the toddler ninja right. song in that same uh, song of like Miss, you know, Pac-Man fever, but it would be toddler ninja, you know. <laughs> I'm going to send one of those down your chimney. You better watch out. <laughs> I'd rather you didn't. But, uh, you know, I, I think the bottom line in that paragraph is we don't know what it actually means in the context of the group. So, again, what our policy is with our interviews on the show is we give benefit of the doubt. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just point out, I was teaching after only two years with my Bogwa instructor. Toddler ninja. Exactly. I was a toddler ninja. <laughs> but, you know, and it's, it's a different set of circumstances. I'd been training Chinese martial arts for, you know, a decade at that point, And I trained with this guy six days a week for two years. And I was teaching people under his watchful gaze for quite a considerable period of time after that. Yeah, you were doing like the old school traditional training. I mean, every single day, early in the morning, quite a bit. And I've been, I came out to a few of those classes and I was like, man, I can't hang. Yo. <laughs> we, we did 6 a.m., four days a week. Uh, yeah. Uh, and then, you know, two or three classes on weekends at least. Plus, I was training at least two hours a day on my own for that entire first two to three year period. Mm -hmm. So uh, you went through the ropes for sure. So just looking at a number. You know, two years, four years, whatever. And especially if you're teaching under the supervision of, of, of another, you know, higher qualified teacher, I don't think there's a big issue there. And his last point here is finally, I'm not so sure about Brazilian Jiu Jitsu being a horrible choice for law enforcement in a sportive form. It certainly isn't hand tailored to their needs, but any kind of body to body grappling is surely an asset. It's not like you must pull guard on those deadly streets, surely. To this, I say, yeah, you're absolutely fucking right. <laughs> <laughs> Kudos yeah. to that, my friend. Yeah. Um, like chink. And I, I think, you know, we, we might be a little more clear about that. Yeah, none of that experience is going to hurt. Um, but it's it's just not, at least as far as I know. And again, I've never trained Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. But uh, from what I know of it, there's it's mostly focused on a ground game and doing person-to-person -person fighting. Yeah. So, that's great, and those it's are skills. It's a wonderful add-on, but as a solitary thing, when you're dealing about multiple attackers, then it's a little yeah. bit different. And in the context of police departments and even military, and again, I've talked with a lot of these guys because I've worked with them or had them come to my classes, um, they don't spend a ton of time on hand-to-hand -hand combatives. And if if the only time that they have is spent exclusively on something like Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, I do think that they should add more to the mix there to yeah. round out people. Especially if they may be, you know, to round them out with stuff that's more specific to their job, whether it's. Yeah, I would say stuff like the fence, the spear and stuff like that. Modern day self-defense type stuff, but just put on to an, you know, aggressive scale rather than just defensive. Yeah. And, uh, you know, what, what you need to learn if you're in the military is going to be completely different than what you need to learn if you're a police officer. And again, these are all niche markets, so. I do think I'm safe in saying that Brazilian jiu-jitsu is certainly not the uh, be-all, end-all blanket you can just throw over that problem and have it go away. Um, yeah. But you're you're absolutely right that there's sure, certainly no harm in having those skills. So uh, we stand absolutely corrected on that if we gave that impression. Definitely. And in the end, he says, in closing, thanks again for a thought-provoking podcast. I'm Oops, i got to flip a page here. It was a long letter. Uh-oh. <laughs> 
<laughs> My pages are stuck together. How did that happen, Craig? You're not even over here. <laughs> <laughs> I will be in a minute. <laughs> in closing, thanks again for a thought-provoking podcast. I'm sending a positive ray of chin energy as we speak. All the best, John. <laughs> Thank nice. you, John. I feel so Thank much you, better because of that chi ray. I really see it's, he caught on to what you were doing with the whole chi thing. It's man, touching my up. third eye, and I'm just feeling better by the second. So we I'm getting a little jealous. I thought you told me I was the only one who could touch your third eye. Yeah, well, I lied. <laughs> I do that. I will rub it clockwise, Ma. And, and John, I'm sorry if we sound, if I, or me in particular, if I sound like I reared up on my hind legs a little at you. That's, uh, it's not the impression I wanted to get across, but you know, I, I did want to. That's wanna, David Jones. I did want to address a lot of the stuff you said and feel free, you know, to readdress my points if you think we need more clarification on that. And that's just David Jones coming <laughs> from a personal friend thing. I've asked him sometimes a question. I'm like, Oh, why are you being so angry? <laughs> you know, he's like, I'm not. I'm just excited about this topic. Yeah. And Doesn't plus, feel I, that way. I, I do like to argue as long as it can be done on a rational basis. Oh, you know, yeah. I can, oh, yeah. He does like to argue. That's how human knowledge progresses. Oh, please. Let's progress this videotape. <laughs> yeah, let's move Roll along. Them. We got one more, buddy. We got one more. Oh, snap. All right. And this one came in pre-marked swap and paint, and it's from our good buddy C-Camp, who's already touched base with us before one time. Yeah, let's go. Here we have it. So here's the body of his message. And by the way, I got to say, I love your terse style. I think it works quite well. <laughs> Thank so you. here we go. I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to C-Camp. <laughs> oh. All right. You and C-Camp. He says... Nope. Thank you for reading my last email on your podcast. It was cool. Here's another story you may like. I was sparring another black belt with no gear and something funny happened. He looked like he was going to attack me low, so I chambered my knee to block. I was thinking, he's going to kick me. Well, he did something very odd. He pushed his hips forward and attacked with his groin full force. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> As you would expect, he slammed into my knee and that was the end of sparring for the night. End. <laughs> Flying cockadoodle, man. That always gets him. In oh. transmission. Yeah, I have no idea what your buddy was planning there, but, you know, occasionally I think every martial artist has had the experience of, um, you know, leading with his chin or his balls at, at just the wrong moment. <laughs> yeah. Dude, I'll tell you what. That's, you know, it, it might not be in Muay Thai, but it is in Thailand, man. You can go down there in the right or, no, actually in in the wrong area <laughs> and you'll get these flying cockadoos coming at you hello mr may i talk to you you know and we recognize them and so that's when you chamber your knee okay mr c camp knows <laughs> oh, i'm gonna have to do this where i can get my hands around your neck from now on craig the skype <laughs> thing's not working out <laughs> Why you little? <laughs> All right, well, flying cockadoodle. You got anything else to say about that? <laughs> I think we're pretty good on that. You little rooster booster. Yeah, it's your dude, bro. All right, I'm gonna go ahead and zip up the mailbag. And uh, guys, uh, it's empty now. So, uh, and ladies, whoever's listening to us, uh, please send in your comments, questions. Fill it up, y'all. We'll address them. We might even rail for ten minutes on it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Once you get my stem twisted, I'm off and running. <laughs> uh, Man, don't twist the stem now. And we got a we got a buttload of great stuff coming up in October. So uh, we, yes, we we did. actually had another interview or uh, a guy we we're going to have on for this podcast <clears throat> that we had to reschedule because you and I were both kind of under the weather on the recording day. What? 
Well, you claim to be anyway. I think maybe you were just lying, though. I was actually sick. Hey, I do that from time to time now. Well, I guess that makes two of us then. (laughs) (laughs) All right, uh, Craig, why don't you tell them where they can look for us online, and we'll get the heck out of here. All right. Look for us at www. Just three of them. Don't get overexcited about it. Put a dot after that. Put a high out podcast after that. Double A's and a dot com. Look for us on Facebook, High Up Podcast. Just do a little search. Look for us anywhere on Google, and you'll see all kinds of social interactions available to you. And uh, just get to clicking. Just get to clicking. And get to typing when it comes to feedback. Don't just click on like. Click on why you like us. Tell us about it. Tell the world. <laughs> yeah, and uh, once again, we'll call out for any uh, any MP3. Uh, if you want to send your uh, comments or questions or whatever else in, in uh, voicemail format, just hit us up with an MP3, and we'll have your voice on these airwaves. Hootie-hoo. Sorry, I can't control myself. Too many W's. You got giggity up in there. All right. Well, Boomhauer, it's been another great show, but it's time for uh, you to crawl back in your coffin and (laughs) pull the web shut for the night. (laughs) Oh, he's going vampire on me. All right, Craig, we're going to get it right this time. I'm going to show you my, see my hand right here? There goes your hand. On on the count of three, let's let him have it, all right? All right. One, two, see ya. (laughs) You still can't. Grand Grand keeps a box of spiders. She says they're on me when I 